you know, I've been to some pretty desolate, gnarly places, but I was like, this is such a chilling, weird place to be. From Stockholm Studios in Bushwick, Brooklyn, this is The LPV Show, a weekly discussion from the world of photography and photo books. Here's your host, Brian Formals. We're sitting here with Paul Kwiatkowski. Glad you made it, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, we've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. Cool. We finally got you I'm to honored. come over. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, first of all, uh, congratulations. You kind of got a new gig. I working do. Working at time.com. Thank you. And that's going to be working with photos, doing photo editing, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mainly doing the breaking news stuff, and then hopefully I'll be, you know, working on cool photo galleries and working uh, with the Lightbox series. Nice. Uh, big fan of those. Uh, I just met Olivier, who's the guy that uh, right, put it together. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I, for now, I'm still kind of getting the ropes of how <laughs> everything works yeah. there. And uh, but you know, hopefully soon. I'm definitely you know pretty excited about it. Yeah, they have a good team. I mean, I've always been impressed with Lightbox. They, they mix it up well, and it's, you know, obviously like you know, huge tradition at times. So it'll be interesting. I'm curious to see what uh, how that progresses, but. Uh, so we're uh, we're gonna talk about some books today, and your book. I remember it was what was it like two years ago now? You sent me the email on LPV, and you wanted you you pitched me an idea. You were one of the first people to kind of pitch a feature. God, uh, you know what though? That must have been three or three, four years. Really? Ago. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably four years now. Because I think that I just finished with this book like three years ago, uh -huh. and then it got picked up, and then there was a year of waiting, and then it came out, right. and that was a year ago. Yeah, it was uh, kid tested, mother approved, like that yes. that story that we yes. put up on LPV. Yep. And it was really, I was I was very nervous about it. I was like, oof, this is kind of uh, I don't know, man. My you know I kind of tend to stake towards like traditional documentary, and this was a little bit. But I was like, I got to do it. It was a good reaction. People liked it. I thought it was perfect for what Th we were doing at the time. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was kind of you know it's a funny funny how the book even started because you know I wasn't. I hadn't really done, I never studied photography. I didn't do photography. You know, I shot a lot when I was a, in high school. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of just stopped until I was, you know, I worked in photojournalism, um, you know, the independent photo agency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they went down in the recession. I collected unemployment mm -hmm. uh, in South America and Mexico for almost a year, kind of tried to reacclimate myself back to New York. And uh, was kind of like, shit, what do I do? <laughs> I liked my previous job as a multimedia yeah. producer, and yeah. that was kind of gone. And uh, I didn't, I knew some about photography, but um, not that much, and right. I had no skills. So then I ended up working at a modeling agency um, as the art department, which is just mm -hmm. mainly like scanning and retouching stuff. And uh, that kind of reinvigorated my interest in photography. Right. And uh, I sort of just, it kind of forced me to kind of look back at my own photographs, um, which I was like, hmm, some of these are good. And I kind of realized, well, I wouldn't say that they were good, but yeah, they yeah. were they were evocative to me. Yeah. And um, I think like, you know, when I, I left Florida when I was 18, and I really just kind of like, I never thought about it again. I was yeah. like, fuck this place, <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. And um, I think every time I tried to do something creative, it would always kind of come back. Like I had all of these really big formative memories of just, you know, places and people and situations that I just, I don't think I was ever like 
considerate of. Right, right. And then I just started putting out little little things here and there, mainly just because, you know, I had downtime at work. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be like, all right, you know. So it was really, I mean, it was really discovering you had, how were you carrying all those old photos? And you had, you had them in like a shoebox or something, right? I remember. No, I had me. them in a big, big Tupperware container. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just like, it was all, like, you know, when I first went to college in Boston, I brought like all these like dumb knickknacks from Florida, you know, like I was not quite into the minimal lifestyle that I enjoy now. <laughs> right, right, right. So I just over the years, I'd get rid of shit, but I had these two photo albums, you know, like literal yeah. photo albums of, you know, high school and kind of going back in there, it, you know, it, for one, it reinvigorated my like kind of love of taking photographs. Yeah. And it was a good introduction for me to get interested in photography again. Right. It wasn't photojournalism, and um, yeah, it was a great like jumping off. So when you, me. but when you were making these back in high school, you were just like doing what any other kid does, taking pictures all with your friends. Obviously, all with your friends, you know, around. You weren't like, oh, I'm, I'm documenting my right. teenage yeah. years, or like no, there was no. no consciousness of it really. No, and I had no, it, you know, I had no intention of making art out of it because I really yeah. didn't know anything about photography. The only photographers I knew at the time was Larry Clark and Harmony Corrine, but I knew their movies and I kind of like, you know, I liked them for a lot of reasons, mm -hmm. but at the time they just kind of spoke to me because I was like, oh, Bully is about a neighborhood close to where I grew up right. and Gummo is also very much like the neighborhood I grew up in. So it never, I guess, they both felt charged, but they weren't like, they didn't open up like some new world to me. They <laughs> right. just made the one that was in seem so much more mm -hmm. appealing and sexy. And, you know, at the time, I, you know, I'd gone to three high schools. So the third one, well, by the time I got to the third one, you know, I was definitely kind of used to always being the new kid and being shy. Uh -huh. And, you know, this was in like the late 90s where I don't think... You know, it's, the photography was such a different beast back then. Yeah, yeah. So I had just these disposable cameras, and to be the one guy around your friends that had a camera really uh -huh. meant something different. Uh -huh. I think now that there's something a little bit leery and creepy about yeah, that Yeah, exactly, because every, every single person has taken a million pictures or right. whatever, and now it's just... So you really caught it, like, pre the internet, social media, and all of that stuff, which I think... There is, you know, some some way I do feel like you catch that vibe, that 90s vibe in the pictures and in, you know, the way it was documented. Because I think maybe people were less self-aware, too, because you weren't expecting that this was just going to go out possibly on the Internet to where everyone in the world is going right, to see it, you know. Right. So it's like, you know, I think there's a part of that that has definitely been lost. But uh, so when, at what point did the, did the writing come in? Were you like, I can't do this all in pictures or... Well, like I never, the funny thing is I never wanted it to be a photo book. And mm -hmm. when I started it, I had no intention of it even being a book. Mm -hmm. I just wanted, I don't know, like I was just like, I, I saw there was some sort of spark and there were some juxtapositions there. And then as, you know, like whenever I'd go back to Florida, I would, you know, I would take more pictures of some of the places like this bridge that me and my friend used to spit off uh -huh. of and talk about maybe getting laid one day, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'd yeah. just be kind of like, uh but, you know, it was just a photo of a bridge, and they weren't yeah. nice photos either. I was yeah. just kind of trying to find time, find ways to kill time yeah. while I'm hanging out with my parents. And, um, you know, and I, 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 my real, like, concentration at the time, I wanted to write a book. Uh -huh. But I felt like the kind of book I wanted to uh, write didn't exist. Right. And I didn't know how to go about making it. And, like I said, like, 
I had so many stories from childhood that I would always try to write about, but I would try to make it literary and like turn it into something bigger than it was. And right. I felt like that always kind of held me back to a certain degree. So once I had the opportunity to just like do it, like write it the way I like to read it, like yeah. short, clean, punchy, you know, I don't, I didn't want to like illustrate the photos, right. but that was the juxtaposition that I think inspired me to keep doing it, making it bigger. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately it was the book that I wanted to read. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember you sent me the PDF and I, I read it on my flight back to Minnesota and I read it like straight through. I was like, damn. Like, awesome. I was just like, I knew what I meant. I knew like right away. I was like, this is, this is, it's because it felt like the kind of like book I would want to read too. Like it awesome. was the same Thank thing you. and everything, you know, with the pictures and the way the writing worked. And also, like I said, that nineties kind of like vibe to it. And, Obviously, there's that Florida kind of deep south weird aspect to it, too. I think it all mixed together, but I was like, right away, like, this feels like something different, you know? So that was... Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I was just like, what was I going to say? But yeah, I mean, it was just, I liked the idea of like a book that I could read in two days. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so many books that have so much fat in them that has to be there because it has to be a certain page count. Right. And maybe this is an excuse for me being lazy and not <laughs> wanting to write more, but right. I actually cut like tons, you yeah. know, of the writing because I just wanted, I didn't want to have boring parts. I just wanted it to be what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And then I would figure out how I would deal with that as a book later. Yeah. And I did that for almost like two years of just putting stuff online, trying stuff out. You know, and yeah, you're kind of testing it out. I mean, I think that's interesting how that played a role in your process, too. I mean, did it like you get it out there, you get a reaction that kind of in, like motivates you to keep going, or did you base anything like on feedback you were getting from it, or was it just kind of yeah, it was a little bit of everything. You know, I was kind of I, I feel like I, you know, always wanted to write, and, and I think for most people that are writers. They really don't think about their audience. You know, they kind of sit there and it's this hermetic thing and it stays that way. And uh, when I would put stuff up online, the main thing I would t think about was just what nasty things would people say about me <laughs> in the comments. <laughs> right. And uh, in a weird way, it really forced me to th remember that there is an audience. Uh -huh. And I, I know people are going to just be like, you're a hipster, you're a faggot. But those <laughs> yeah, things yeah, yeah. don't really bother me. You know, it's not like that has nothing to do with the project. Um, so it did give me kind of like, okay, that part was kind of bullshitty. Like I, people caught on to that. I felt it was false and people verified it. Right, right. Um, and not to say that you should listen to what people say in the comments <laughs> by any means, but it definitely helped me remember that there is an audience and people are reading and they're gonna have opinions. And for the most part, it was positive. And you know, it was, once I had done that enough, I was like, I think the main comment that people gave me, which was, you should write a book. Right, right, <laughs> And right. I was like, all right, I'll give that a try. So there was a point where I just stopped putting so much stuff online and like let it kind of germinate into its own thing. And I think once I started, you know, working with a designer to put it together, that was when I was like, all right, I get it. You know, I, I now now I'm seeing like what this what, what the process know. made, but yeah. I never would have imagined or I never would have like consciously been like, my process is going to be to put this stuff out online right. little by little. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, it was yeah, you're doing the same, you know, you just you kind of 
That's why I say you use the you use the web as part of your process rather than trying, you know. To, I mean, there's really two avenues you can go down. It's purely as like a marketing thing, which a lot of people use, it and it's boring. Or you can integrate the web into your process. And I never really enjoyed putting stuff out until I made it work for me. It's like okay, I'm gonna same thing is like put these photos out here, kind of see your work with edits, and it helped me like reverberate like back to where, what I was trying to do. Like just having that kind of like, it's out there, now it comes back to me, it's out there. So yeah, that was, I mean, I think it's key. Otherwise you're just, why am I, why am I throwing stuff out there? What's the point? And like that's kind of the bane of most of the social web right now. You know? Yeah, and I think people are really precious about their ideas too, where they're like, oh, I'm not gonna put this online because this is for the book. And I'm like, <laughs> which I, you know, I do understand yeah. that. Like you do wanna, your project is your baby, it is special yeah. to you, but at some point, like, you have to kind of be brave with it, and if you're thinking about putting it out there, you should get a good idea of how it's gonna be. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. take it. Even exactly. and if you wanna piss people off, yeah. then see if people are getting pissed. You, know? <laughs> like, you don't wanna put all that effort into it, and then yeah. people just are like, they never heard of it. Yeah. So they're like, mm, I don't know, am I gonna take the risk to check out this photo book I never heard of, right, and right. I can't reference online? Yeah, Maybe, probably but probably not, yeah. So you, so the, the story takes, you know, you're going out there, I'm sure you're working and want to get the book done, you get some good reactions that you're going to do, and then, so we're looking back in 2012, and this is August 19th, I have it pulled up right now. It's a short series on the Sunday book review uh, in the New York Times, and Ira Glass was in this column. And at the very end, so they ask him, what do you plan to read next? So, quote, I just started the manuscript of this book, and every day was overcast by Paul Kwiatkowski. That's unlikely, unlike any book I've ever read. He's a photographer, and the book is a mix of this clean, spare, unaffected prose about growing up near the swamps of South Florida. Plus, these incredible photos he's taken of that area. Seems like he spent his teenage years wandering from one trashy spot to another, drinking vodka, taking drugs, and messing around with girls. It's totally killing me. A completely original and clear-headed voice. Google him if you're curious. Last I heard, he doesn't have a publisher because it's such an in-between sort of project. Part pictures, part story. Well, that changed after this comes out, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, that is, like hands down, that was one of the happiest moments of my life. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was in Germany. I remember I was in a hotel room, and I, I it was... You know, I like barely had Wi-Fi, and I was right. you know standing outside the window with my computer in an angle because I noticed I had like you know thousands of hits on my site, uh -huh. which up until then, if I had seventy, I was like, <laughs> oh, looks yeah. like I'm making some waves here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, you know, Ira Glass is just like he was. He's just somebody that he's like one of my favorite people in terms of you know I've always loved this American yeah. life. I've always thought it was inspiring. I was always inspired by sound design. Uh, sound design is a big inf inspiration for the Overcast book in and right. of itself. Um, so yeah, once that moment happened, uh, it definitely, like, I had been baiting um, book agents, mm -hmm. and I think I had written to like about 70 of them, and nobody bit, and everybody said it was too weird. <laughs> uh, they didn't know how to sell it because they didn't do photo books. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to photo book publishers because well, I did, but they were like, it's text. This is a right. book, not a photo book. So I found myself in this real, like, kind of, uh, you know, I just had nowhere to move. And I, I had finished the project, and I was like, fuck. You know, <laughs> like, what do I do? Like, I, I'm just, I, I've got, just everybody turned me down. Right. So how did he, how did Eric Glass get the manuscript? Uh, his wife, Anahid, works, or you know, she was the editor for Rookie. 
okay. uh, the website. Uh -huh. And I guess somebody had told her about the project and sent her some stuff. My girlfriend cuts her hair. She also cuts oh, her glasses wow. hair. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I sent them a, a PDF over because uh -huh. I was going to do something with Rookie at the time, but that fell through. You know, I think my girlfriend mentioned to Ira that I'm a huge fan of his, yeah. which is totally true. But that was like months ago. Right. Like right. that was like six months ago. And uh -huh. they were like, this is really good, you know. And I was like flattered. Oh, cool, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, six months later, I, sure. I, they didn't write, they didn't tell me either. Uh -huh. I had no idea. I just noticed, like I said, through my website. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was ecstatic. I remember just being like a madman in the streets <laughs> of Berlin, just. <laughs> drinking as much as I could and just, you know. But yeah, it, I mean, well, to get that level of affirmation, it's like, hey, it's, you can, like, almost, like, uncheck a mark. Like, not totally insane now, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, Like, totally. this isn't, this isn't, I'm not throwing this into some, you know, I'm not some crazy person. Like, this is, people are getting it. You like know, or somebody got it, yeah, and somebody it's the got person it. I yeah. would most want in the entire world to get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm yeah. probably just bragging at this point, but it really, really was amazing like I was so uh, taken back and touched and grateful so let's let's go to the next day then how did the book comes along and like are you getting when did black balloon balloon come and see well I had this one agent that I had been kind of you know courting and he he really liked the project but he was just like I don't know man like you know I had some accolades behind me but not enough to push something that would be this expensive yeah. to reproduce yeah. and then once I got that it was a nice thing to put on top of like my little you know kind of non-existent press kit <laughs> right, right. and uh, I never heard of Black Balloon but he he obviously knew it was a new company actually they hadn't uh -huh. put out anything which is why I hadn't heard about it or they had put <laughs> out a cookbook and um, so you know once that opportunity came up you know he told me there's a publisher that's interested nice. and I, I met up with them and kind of you know just to see like what their idea was because um, Alex Soth had also contacted me and he wanted to put it out with Little Brown Mushroom. Mm -hmm. But there was that same issue of like, this is a, a literary book, like we could do this limited run, but it right. doesn't really, mm. I don't think it's that kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, a novel, you know, it's a novel, you know, where it's a novella length uh, amount of text mm. in there. So it was just always like a little bit of like, I, you know, how, like, how do I compromise yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally think those guys, if this was now, I think that, I think people would be, like, the photo book people would be biting on it. Because now it just seems we're more in this environment where yeah. you got to be testing things. You've got to push, you know, they're looking for more innovative type projects and books because that's just kind of the spirit of what's going on with all the yeah. indie publishers and those sort of things. So I think, you know, maybe it was just timing. But, I mean, Black Bloom well, was great. So you, let's kind of jump ahead here because, you know, comes out and you do all you know you did a bunch of readings and you kind of base this stuff on and we could probably go on forever about your travels but I really want to talk about eat pray drug yeah because that's another another thing that you did this follow-up that I think was incredibly innovative for the web it was this nine-part series that was all web-based that was again kind of like your like travels across <laughs> across the United States looking for, like you were investigating like weird spiritual occurrences and, and people and those sort of things, right? Yeah, well kind of like, you know, for one, it's like I've always hated road trip books <laughs> and, and <laughs> stories. Right. I, you know, I fucking can't stand Kerouac. And uh -huh. I love Burroughs, but the rest of the beats are just like, it just always rubbed me wrong. It's uh -huh. just these like, you know, 
white douchebags, like, <laughs> right. uh, you know, just having America be their playground and not to downplay all of them because there's a lot of brilliance there, but sure, it's just not sure. my thing. Yeah. So the way it started is I had, uh, you know, I was living in LA for a month and I'd met up with my, you know, my, with my publisher mm -hmm. and she asked me if I was interested in doing a, a, ser a nine part series on consciousness, mm -hmm. which meant like mm -hmm. guys like Rupert Sheldrick and like, just kind of investigating these things and writing yeah. like uh, a series of articles, you know, for Black Balloon that would be on the web. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, you know, I, I accepted and I was kind of mulling over how to do that because I just wasn't interested in like just writing about these things that have already been written about. And I don't right. have like a strong connection to, um, you know, esoteric new age stuff. Like mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating that it exists, but it doesn't really, doesn't charge me right, in any right, way. Right. But uh, so I was driving back from L.A. to New York and, um, you know, just taking pictures along the way and kind of some of the people that I wanted to interview, like Paul Levy, who has a mm -hmm. book called uh, Dispelling with Tico, um, was like on my way. So I started kind of just interviewing people right. here and there. And I went to Lilydale, which is like a spiritualist oh, wow. uh, place in, in uh, upstate New York, where it's just a town made entirely or comprised entirely of mediums and psychics so in a weird way it became this road trip book because it was just a great uh, narrative spine for me to just not be writing right. um, nine articles about things I don't really give a shit right. about um, and it allowed me to use those photographs yeah. and it was kind of I find like even with Overcast like I also don't really love a lot of coming of age <laughs> stories <laughs> right, exactly. but I find it really kind of fun and refreshing and it for me like I think if I were writing just about the things that I like really liked, mm -hmm. I would just be, it would just wouldn't be very good. Well, I mean, good. I think it's, yeah, it's interesting how you use those, those tropes. You know, a lot of things, you know, most pieces of art are gonna follow some sort of trope. So I don't know why anyone, you know, to create some sort of weird hierarchy, it's always, you can take that and use the elements that are good about the trope and then completely go off and do something else. And so I, I like, and you know, I think as I've like matured as an artist and progressed, it's, you know, these tropes exist to sit here and run away from them or even try to like pretend that you're not part of a, some trope yourself. Like just embrace it, man. You know? Well, and I think yeah. the most exciting part to me is just like, that's where you get the best juxtapositions and that's where the sparks are. If you're writing about like, I don't know, you, if you're writing about say road trips and you're not that into them, but you want to make, make it how you would like it to be. How, right. how would you want to read a road trip story so it doesn't right. feel so fucking annoying <laughs> um and then just doing that like you start to be like you just start to get ideas that you aren't already floating around in your head because right. you're like just getting sparks here and there and you know that project was a little bit of a sketchbook too it wasn't you know i was Called doing mixtape right I, yeah it's yeah. a total yeah. for me a literary mixtape um in a way that like hip-hop artists make mixtapes now where they're like kind of demo versions of their songs so people can sample them and then ultimately they'll put in a much more mastered version. Right. Nice. Um, yeah, so, and I like that you released it. it, it was, so it's over basically like a three or four month period, right? Um, I think a little bit longer. It went from like basically the summer to the winter. So it was like six right. months or seven months. But you were really hammering, you were like still working on it while it was being produced. Yeah, I would be working on it like literally up until two days <laughs> of when it was being released. And I was working with uh, Ryan Dushan, who's the computer programmer, and Arv, who's an editor at Black Balloon. 
and you know we we're just trying to come up with like what would be an interesting way to read this online and i was right. kind of like oh, it would be cool if it read like a book like left yeah. to right you flip the pages if there's video we put the video in like just let's just go let's just try stuff out you know and not ev I feel like not everything worked, but a lot right. of things did, and it kind of inspired, like, okay, now we have another idea of how the following chapter can yeah. work. And um, I guess it would be a nice segue into the collaborative uh, chapter that we did together, right. Willow Lake. Willow Lake. So that, so that brings us to, so th we, this was part eight. It was right before. Yeah, it was the second, the second to last one. one. So Will, yeah, Will Lake is born out of, my project Skyway, where I'd been walking between LaGuardia and JFK. So by the third or fourth time I got into that area that was where Willow Lake was, which is um, basically at the end of the park um, in Queens. And it was after like a really long walk that the sun was going down, it was getting dark, and I was kind of like, man, I don't know if I'm going to get to the subway station, because the subway station was like at the the end, it was the EF line at uh, Kew Gardens or wherever it was down there in Forest Hills. And it, so I was like kind of on my, wanted to get back quick. And then I came to this preserve. And when I came up over and I saw it down there, I was like, I got to go. Like, I, there's no way. Like, I come across this, I got to go. And I went down there and it was the most, it was the eeriest feeling I've had in New York City. Because here it was just this empty preserve. And like on the ground, it was like all those like wood chips. So like it had been kind of like built up too and there was this path and I just, you know, there's no one around. <laughs> and it was like, you're just all of a sudden in this area where there's complete like desolation. So like I just kept walking and like walking and like these reeds were like 12, 15 feet high. And I was like listening to my music too. And I was like, this is kind of, you know, man, if, if there's a serial killer hunting around and quit, like this is where they would get you, you know? So like that first day when I like went deep in there, I was like, this is something weird going on here. So I would kind of be telling that story to different people when I was explaining the project. And I believe I told you about it. And then we started talking about this area between the two airports and like creating this like void. And then that's when we sort of decided to start the project. Yeah, I was, you know, I re you were showing me your Skyway project and I was really, you know, intrigued by it. You know, this kind of points of triangulation you were making between two major areas of de uh, departure, uh, JFK and LaGuardia. And it never occurred to me that they were so close to each right, other right. and that they existed in these parts of, you know, Queens that are like, I don't know, like just parts you never really ventured to. Yeah. And I love the idea that, like, equidistance from both of them, there's just this park that you discovered that sounds like, like I don't know, like just the set of every true crime <laughs> yeah, story exactly. you've ever heard. Yeah, exactly. And I saw your pictures, and I was just, like, so intrigued. I was, like, it reminded me a lot of, like, Tarkovsky films, like mm -hmm. Solaris and, uh, and uh, The Stalker, where there's right. just this, like, you know, he doesn't use these really fanciful uh, sets. He uses right, right. a context around these uh, uh, around these places that are, um, you know, they're mitigated by people's emotion. And, right. you know, I think that idea has been done quite a bit since the 70s or 60s, whenever his movies came out. But I was like, you know, it's like another trope. Like, I love sci-fi movies, right. but I would never right. think of or, like, be like, you know what? I'm going to make a sci-fi thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then just, you know, jamming with you about that idea. And then, um, obviously... I mean, the true crime. So the true crime, too, is, like, that was a time where, like, we both are kind of into these true crime stories. And I told you about Disappeared. 
And disappeared yeah. is a story of people that just disappear. Most times they never find them. And like, that's to me, like, where did they go? Like, what happened? And I'm just, just, they don't know. No one knows. Yeah. You know? And just that there's, to me, which, I mean, that's really fascinating. But to me, it's just that there's an industry. There's an actual <laughs> right. money-making industry yeah. that talks about stories of real people yeah. falling off the face of the planet. Yeah. And they make money, and they do reenactments. And, like, yeah, I was just kind of, like, in some ways, I'm, I'm a little bit repelled by that. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm really interested that it's such a big thing. And it's yeah. not for, like, weird freaks that are into serial killer culture. It's yeah. for housewives. And, yeah. like... And people like me. Stoners that, you know, stoners that, you know, have nothing better to watch on yeah. TV. But there's weird... Because, you know, I think Investigation ID that plays those shows was, like, the History Channel before. And it went through, like, four or five yeah. permutations before it became an entire channel dedicated to true yeah. crime. I mean, I like, to me, it, the true crime is the part of it was like, you know, understanding crime and criminal behavior, but you watch a lot of that stuff and you know why people get murdered. I mean, it's no mystery. I mean, most of them are crime of passion, you know? That is, and then you have psychopaths. So you kind of get all the tropes because murder and motivation, there's always something. Like, well, you can always kind of figure it out. And uh, to me, yeah. what's like most interesting is the question that always comes up is, did they just get up and leave? Right. And that, to me, just seemed like, well, of course not. But then I was like, of all those scenarios, I doubt I would ever kill anybody. Right, right, I doubt right. I, I don't have, like, psychopathic tendencies. Mm -hmm. But I could totally see myself being like, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah, And absolutely. I'm just going to go. Like, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I would do that in reality because I have people that love me that yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want to hurt. But if I didn't have that... Sounds and I just, like a I just, dandy idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I felt like in New York, I feel like there are people in New York like that, that are in New York and like whatever was before, nobody knows. And they're just right. here and they're gone. And I don't like deep in Queens and walking through there between the airports and, you know, Queens is such a hodgepodge of like different cultures and all this. It just felt like there's something in this like environment where that attracts like these people. Absolutely. But and then, then you, so we, you know, I mean, we went through a lot of different, kind of like ideas for it and we're working you know towards a book but you came to me and said hey man like I want to put this in and I was like of course like I was like there's no decision it seemed like it was one of those things where it's like that's so obvious that it just kind of fits in there you know yeah and I mean it was something that we were both obviously so inspired by mm -hmm. like you know you would tell me about it and I would just be so intrigued and then there was the moment where you know you took me there yeah and I was like you know, I've been to some pretty desolate, gnarly places, but I was like, this is such a chilling, weird place to yeah. be because it's by a, like, the, what highway is that? The, anyway, there's a big yeah, highway yeah. by it, Queens, LaGuardia, uh, you know, JFK and LaGuardia. So there's airplanes, just, there's this, Passer, like, yep. high hum of white noise. Uh -huh. And this park is pretty big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was—I thought it would be a little park. It's a big park. Yeah, it's big. it's totally Lake. abandoned. It, I mean, it actually used to be abandoned. I think they just reopened yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like a weird abandoned haunted house. Like, it's <laughs> like you're in these corridors of reeds. There's, we didn't see any people there. And I was like, shit, if I were going to kill somebody, <laughs> right. you'd do it here because you would never yeah. find them exactly. until the winter, until like, you know, the 
uh, so the vegetation thinned out. Right, right. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's a really eerie place. But at the same time, it's kind of peaceful and serene, and yeah. it's like a total Solaris uh, situation. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good way to end the first half, man. Well, we'll, we'll yeah, I think we'll wrap back around, too. But we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and talk about the book you brought, okay. which I've seen, you've showed me. So I want to, we'll, we'll be a good But you probably have never seen it out in public. Out in public. Anyway. All This is the book you showed me a couple times. Radical Eye. How do you say his name? Miran Zoner. Zonar? Zovnir. Zovnir. So it's so this guy. Why don't you explain to me? Tell everyone who this guy is. Uh, you, you know, I don't know too much about this guy. He is a photographer that mainly worked through the 70s and 80s. He does these black and white photographs of Berlin, Moscow. And uh, Times, like New York, New York yeah. Times Square area, New York, like, you know, back when it was like really seedy. Right. And uh, I know he does short films. Uh, Terry Southern, who wrote uh, Easy Rider um, and uh, Dr. Strange Glove, Dr. Strange Love, <laughs> set, calls him the uh, poet of radical photography. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I actually don't know too much about him, but this book seems to be like, seems to encapsulate most of his uh, best work. Right, right. So it's like mostly portraits and it's kind of, you know. It's, a, it's like a mix of John Waters, Van <laughs> Golden, and... Uh, Joseph Kadelka? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Kadelka, this is a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dean Arbus, you know. Yeah, like, Dean Arbus. I mean, again, we get into the same conversation where I don't want to say like, on the fringes of society, you're marginalized people, because I feel like when you start putting those labels onto it, you're kind of trying to define the photography. So it's a, yeah. it's a language that, they, and that's part of the language of photography and documentary photography that gets so problematic. It's because you normally have to bring up these issues of who are the subject matter and how do these like fit into society. So I don't, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's so, it's so intense and exhaustive that mm -hmm. I don't think he's just this like, uh, you know, tourist, like yeah. on the, on the, uh, just photographing the fringes. There's right. a real like connection here, and uh, it's like a totally realized, immersive world. Right. Um, should I? Yeah, you gotta live it. You know what I mean? Like that's is definitely like so. Yeah, Kodelka is actually a good. That's actually a good uh, because he, he like right in the he's out on the road. He's living with the gypsies. He's that is his reality. So it's interesting, you know. I think that is a good parallel, and you can anytime a photographer like gets that deep into the world, you can just tell. Like, and I think it's because there's so many good photos that it's not like, oh, he's he's there every once in a while. No, he's like the environment he lives in. He's a lifer for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's you know it's a very sparse black and white portraits, and um, I'll tell you how I discovered it because like when I was in college, I did one year abroad in uh, Zurich, Switzerland. And I remember, you know, I obviously didn't know too many people. You know, it was new there, it was only there for like a little over half a year. 
this is, you know, I had internet at school, but not in my apartment. Mm -hmm. So like I would have to go to school to do stuff. And I think that was, you know, this was in 03. So, you know, there wasn't like all these cool photo sites. At least I wasn't aware of them. So every Sunday I would smoke a bowl (laughs) and I would ride my bike to the one bookstore in downtown Zurich. And uh, I discovered this book, like, you know, and I'd never studied photography. I didn't really know much about photography, but I would go there every week and I couldn't afford to buy the book Uh at the time. And I would just like, I'd never seen something that just pulled me in so entirely. Like Mm -hmm. I'd never seen photography be like so fully realized, like you can smell it. And it also was like. Right. No, you keep going. Ring a ding Yeah. Yeah. Guest, yeah. <laughs> new guest yeah, in the yeah, building. Yeah. So you fully realized you could spell. Yeah, I mean, it's so. Did you went back there? How many different times? I would go there every fucking weekend. So and you I look would, at the same book. Yeah, the weekend. same book. Like, because I was just like totally blown away by it. And like, you know, he. I think it's one of the few photo books that totally captures a, a time and place in in, in American history right. and European history that doesn't exist. Uh-huh. You know, I feel like, you know, some people did photograph or a lot of people photographed, you know, New York Times Square, but I think it was always done with like a more like loving perspective yeah. or like they were more like tourists in it and just kind of going in and going out. And uh, this was something that I always kind of like, you know, I'd always dreamed of going to <laughs> right. the Times Square right, of New right. York in the 80s and I just obviously was a child. So I never had it, and um, and just to see Berlin in that time in Moscow, and like, you know, there's and he would uh, go to the piers, yeah. which of Chelsea, which were at the time were, um, you know, like a big gay cruising spot, right, right. and I was always really inspired by cruising. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm not gay; I've never right, cruised, right. but um, you know, when I was in high school, I had to do community service, and I had this. Uh, one of the places I could choose from was called CAP. It was Comprehensive AIDS, mm-hmm. uh, AIDS program, I think. And um, I was moving furniture from my rich old ladies' apartments into apartments of people who had uh, HIV. Mm-hmm. And um, this boss of mine, he was a drag queen from New York. He had been in, t- you know, part of that whole scene. Uh-huh. He had lost a lot of his friends to HIV. I had lost a, a family member to HIV, uh-huh. and it was just this really like. It was just something I didn't talk about, and I felt kind of ashamed about it. And right. for a large part of my life, uh, you know, it was just kind of like this secret. Like I, uh-huh. I just kind of assumed it was like cancer or something. Right, it was just right. not talked about that right. much. So it really felt uh, kind of therapeutic to be uh-huh. around somebody like that. And I think this guy's work captures that uh, time in New York pre-AIDS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm that I was just super fascinated by. And I grew up in Jersey right. City during that time as well. Um, so I, you know, kind of knew about it because that's when uh, my you know, family member died. And uh, his, his book really just kind of captures like well, the yeah, loss and hopelessness and disease and lust and but all it's those interesting things that in one. You, you connect it so directly to a time period. And I think like to me, for me and you, I, we've talked about this before, like how like um, history and how things are rooted in these very specific, you know, time periods is interesting. It's like something I've been like fascinated with for the last couple of years and I'm working on another new book that directly tries to like take images from these very specific years, you know? And I, I don't know what that is. To me, I'm kind of conflicted about it because 
you know, it's like almost, why don't you just become a historian then or something? Are you just interested in what actually happened or are you interested in something more? And to me, I'm more interested in like how that time period is like represented. Like how do we remember the 90s through photographs or through art or through whatever, you know? And these days you have so many people like uploading and sharing photos that we have this like huge vast trove of like remembering the past, you know? And like, what, how do we, how do you even begin to make sense of that? So well, like, it's like this information overload, you know? Yeah, and I think what's interesting for those of us that were like born in the 80s and late 70s, mm -hmm. we've passed through so many epochs, uh, mainly in technology, mm -hmm. um, but we did pass through, you know, the, the AIDS thing, you know, through uh -huh. all the things that happened in the 90s, uh, the internet, which right. is for me like huge. So I think we're one of the few generations that like, not only are we aware of these things, but uh -huh. they've changed our life the way that we relate to ourselves and other people. Right. That in a weird way, seeing something like, you know, uh, Miron's book, Radical Eye, mm -hmm. really captured something before all that that could never be right. reproduced. Exactly, exactly. And it's done exactly. in such a way that's so jarring and explosive and kind of romantic. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, my favorite kind of art doesn't aim to resolve anything. Uh -huh. Um, not that I like don't like art that does, but it's really refreshing to see somebody that's just doing it and going right. out there. And it's a lot of his images, I think, are a little bit problematic. It's mm. not my favorite photo book, right, but it's right. the one that nothing had really inspired me and blew me away like that. Where I would, yeah. as a kid, go to the bookstore every week to like be like, one day I'm gonna have the money to buy this fucking book. <laughs> right, and it's, yeah. and it, it, you know, for years just blew me away. And that was something that I was like, that's what I wanna do in art. I didn't know that I wanted to do it through photography or writing uh -huh. or film or whatever. But I was like, I would love to do something that feels yeah. so completely realized like this. I mean, this feels yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it feels like he's oh, in the on, crow man. or you something. Did you did it. Come on. You got your book. Your book is sitting, <laughs> well, your book is sitting right now. Today. No, it's the same. I mean, you all, but you, it's, it's funny how you talk about that where you almost don't like believe that you did or like maybe the significance of the book, which I think is good as an artist because then it's like, well, whatever. I did that. Well, you're I'm very done. You're yeah. very removed, you know, yeah. from your own book. You know, you've seen yeah. all the like <laughs> mistakes and flaws and, you know, what you present to people is a finished product. Yeah. So you, I feel like you'll never have like that same connection to your own work. And, uh, you know, thank you. I, I really hope that I do that. But right. uh, this book was the one that I was just like, man, it was a fucking kick in the face. <laughs> and it still yeah. is. Like, yeah, I don't it's... look at it every day by any means. But when I do, I'm just like, I mean, wow. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, it's like I get it. I like, but it would, I don't think it has that same visceral. I like like it for, because like we said, this guy, yeah, he's a 24-7 photographer. Like, to me, he's a pure blood photographer. And like, you meet those guys, and you know those documentary photographers that are just, that's them, man. And like, it's really, really good stuff. You know, it's like sometimes, though, it's just, it's like all documentary. It's like you're documenting, the, you know. It becomes too almost like prescriptive of like this aspect of society or like this issue. He does it well because it comes from his personal life, but what happens too often is that the, that, that kind of photography becomes too preachy, you know? Well, I think what he does is something like that Herzog does in movies like Strojek, which mm -hmm. is funny because he actually did a documentary about Bruno, the main actor from Strojek. Uh -huh. 
where, you know, Herzog is in some ways documenting things, but he is also making these people perform, and he's putting them right. in situations where right. something will happen, he doesn't yeah. know what, and that's what he aims to capture. And yeah. I think, I have no idea how Muren works, but I'm assuming it's something like that. It's kind of directed into action a little bit. Well, a lot of these pictures yeah. are clearly posed, but the, the poses that he makes them do, yeah. you're like, I still want to know who that person is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I know that's not an actor you know. crucified on top of a car riding yeah, the Bronx. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is one of the images, which yeah. is like, and there's like a photo of a woman in an S&M yeah. mask with holes cut out, so yeah. her breasts are hanging out, and she's in a church. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. church is packed, and the people look yeah. very, very disturbed. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, he that's did that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, like, no, I don't think like, that's a great idea, yeah. but shit, I'm impressed. So we just had, last week, we just had... Yeah, it was like a week ago or two weeks ago. We had Kalik Allah on the show. He's and awesome. He's, and he's awesome. Really he's, but he he kind of got into that too where he starts like, you know what? Unless I'm here on the corner every night and they know me as this, then I can't really like vibe with them and move things around. Like so like the light bulb just went on in his head. It's like if I'm there, if I put myself there and I win that trust and they, I am them, then I start to get what I want. And like you can just see it pour out of him, and that's why his work is like so explosive because it's like, yeah, he, he kind of like found it's, a little secret, you know? It's real yeah. and it's legit, and I love that it feels like it's lit by like bodegas and liquor stores. Right. Like, it just is totally real, and you know that like he obviously has some connection to these people and can speak their language. Yeah. And he's photographing them in their environment. I don't know whether they're posed or not. It kind of doesn't matter. It's more like that he's connecting with them yeah, on yeah. some level and thinking about the repercussions of that later, but that's not, I don't, I think if you're gonna do that as a photographer, you're selling yourself short. Right, right. And that's, you know, why he's probably seeing so much success, yeah, at least yeah. in my eyes. No, yeah, he's doing, no, he's, he's he was great. That was an amazing conversation with him. I very, mean, but there's- Very spiritual, too. Yeah, I think yeah. that really guides his photography. No, he's a yeah, spiritual, philosophical artist. He's well, he's connecting like comes, with yeah. people that, you know, like I think a lot of a lot of photographers yeah. would come into those situations and they'd be subjugating these people or objectifying right. them a little bit too much. Right. And I think he doesn't do that. Yeah. And you can only do that by keeping it real. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, but that's, you know, so that stuff's good on that kind of like level, you know. But I think like what happened like to me is like I started looking at like so many different other types of photo books and blame some of my friends, Yoshi and Tamara, for like exposing me to more conceptual oriented <laughs> photography and kind of looking at it in a good way though. Like all but I mean things. just the, the idea that eventually these ideas will kind of merge. Because yeah. I love, you know, conceptual, contextual yeah. photography and to mix those two things, which is what I'm excited about in photography is right. to see it's move in that direction, which I don't think it has yet. Yeah. And I think, you know, between the internet, the resurgence of print books, all these new ideas and, you know, freshness that's coming into the, into photography, we're going to see it. And that's, you know, I know a real I think, optimistic time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so funny that people are so pessimistic about it, but normally the people in the photography world and in Photoline are very pessimistic about it are the ones that seem to have the most to lose. They're like, challenged by it, you know so yeah. to me it's like i don't have a problem with too many photo books yeah. it's like we yoshi like make more you 
you don't aren't dictated by like, oh, I'm going to do one book in my life and that's it. It's like you make what you want to make and don't think about like, oh, am I putting too many books into the world? Like, come <laughs> right. on. Yeah. Well, you I know? think photographers by yeah. nature have a real grumpy disposition. And uh, <laughs> I think it's something we all yeah. suffer from. And it's, you know, yeah. just part of... Uh, it's just part of the scene, man. Yeah, yeah, but that was also, you know, Corey brought that up too, where he's like, man, I just, I got like 10 things in the pipeline that I want to like just put out there. I mean, my feeling too is like, how long do you think, like, I don't know if I could try to make art for, I'm pushing 40 here. I can already see like, eh, I don't know, why do I want to waste my time doing that? You know what I mean? Like, it's fun for me now to kind of make things and put it together, but I can see that day where it's like, well, I don't know, man. It's going to evolve or not. But yeah. That's, yeah. that's the way you keep doing it. But I think there's, yeah, something, things to there's do, yeah. something poetic about people that know when to quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of directors yeah. that I kind of wish I'm like, you know, or, and musicians where I was like, I know that you know you created something really beautiful and new, and then you right. tried to ride that horse too long and it died years ago. Yeah. There's no reason. I mean, there's no there's no wrong in redefining yourself and exactly. to keep doing it. Like you don't need to be the same moniker for your entire life. Right. Or creating art under the same moniker. Yeah. Brisson yeah. gave up photography. He became what? a painter. Like, oh, did he? Well, really? Yeah. How late? How late? Yeah, I guess I haven't read any. I think of the it was one of, these, one of these abrupt transitions, though. Well, it's, I mean, one of the most famous is Rambeau, right? Like we both read Rambeau. He, oh yeah. He gave up poetry at nineteen and went and became a gun runner, right? You know? <laughs> and, and disappeared. And disappeared. That would be my favorite disappeared <laughs> yeah, episode yeah. ever. Would be the one about Rambeau because yeah. he went to like what Java. Yeah, no, somewhere in Africa, like the whole like like he became a legit gun runner, like. <laughs> He was like more passionate about being a gun runner than ever about his poetry. He was like, whatever. I did that when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, literally. And that, exactly. And I think, I do think there's something like a little bit of that attitude. Yeah, I did that then. Well, I, I don't, think, why, who cares? Well, know? I think, you know, the, the impulse to make art is a real strong itch. And once you yeah. do it, do you want to do that again? Or, you know, it's like, it's also, we were saying, like, what does it mean to be a photographer now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, I think right. it means like, the the real craft is in like how are you going to present your photographs because I don't yeah. think I don't think like people that make art on Instagram are any less of a photographer than the ones that are shooting for big publications. No, not at all. It's context, yeah. and it's in the future it'll be purely context, and uh, I think that's exciting. Well, and that's the again the impetus for the show, the context of get the book in front of people, and like so I have a reaction to it. To me, like that's how to discuss. That's the only way I would want to discuss it is with the person that introduces me to the work. Like, great, we should have critics and people reviewing books or whatever, but I'm just not interested in, like, personally doing that. I'd rather, like, no. just jam and talk about it, you know, because that's, you talk about context of experiencing books and what people are doing, and that's really kind of the essence of what we're trying to get with the podcast is to, you know, there's something there when people are around and talking about it, you know. Absolutely. So, so that's, you know, I'm glad you brought this one in. We probably could go forever on like Willow Lake, but we got some things in the works and you know, hopefully we'll put it all together. I think we will. Cool. All right, Paul. Yeah, thanks for being here, thanks Paul. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks again for joining us. You can go behind the scenes of this episode, see the work of our guests and the photos we discussed by visiting our Tumblr and lpvshow.com. The LPV Show is executive produced by Brian Formals and co-produced by Tom Starkweather and Eddie Volante. Our score is by Tom Starkweather, who also mixes the show. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>